All right, Rob, Pool B here, which a pool very, very near and dear to your heart, of course. Do you, I mean, do you want to start with, with USA or would you rather get let's, work up to them? No, let's do it. Let's start with USA. Uh, this is the most difficult pool by far. It is clearly more difficult than Pool A. I wish I could like average the world rankings, but it's not even close. Like They get a softball team kind of in Tunisia, but even Tunisia is much more competitive than Venezuela in Pool A. So I don't think it, we're going to spend very much time on Tunisia, except that we didn't expect them to win very much. <laughs> well, I like Wasim Bentara. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's good for Tunisia. <laughs> that's, that's about it. <laughs> okay, so, so USA though, Rob. Yeah. Give us, give us the, uh, give us the, the basics here. What, what okay. can we expect at a Team USA? after the USA men and women announced their rosters. I broke that down in detail then. Um, and not really a lot has changed about my opinions now. Um, the USA did not have all that good of a VNL. They were very middle of the pack. They were using the early stage of it to get guys a lot of time that were competing for those last five or maybe six Olympic spots. Uh, but the, the, the usual starters, um, we already knew, and that's why we didn't see them much for the first part of VNL. That plus some very much needed recovery time. So the, the the first big question mark is who's the second outside hitter? Because as we know well by now, there's no Aaron Russell this tournament, um, having hip surgery at the very end of his season in Piacenza. Um, alternate on this roster, he will not be playing in this Olympics. Which, by the way, just get out of the way before we go on. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. That sucks. Like, it's, it hurts. Everything was kind of coming together. USA was finally you know injury-free, and then Aaron Russell... Out with a right. hip injury. I didn't even know he, he had an injured hip. Those, yeah, the hip is a weird joint. It's actually like more complicated than the knee to fix. So if he has surgery, he's, he's done for a while. So that, that that is too bad because, yeah, the team that the U.S. had that got bronze in 2016 is pretty much exactly the same team as we were expecting to have this year. Uh, we lost David Lee. David Smith's going to come in and start in that role. Don't lose all that much there. But without Aaron Russell, there's, there's a big hole to fill and – it is looking extremely likely that that will be TJ DeFalco's spot, the second outside hitter across from Taylor Sander, who played, I think, played the most out of any American player at VNL other than maybe Eric Shoji. And honestly, I thought looked really good. Uh, I was I was very happily surprised with what I saw from TJ DeFalco in VNL. Yeah, here's, here's a good number for you. Yeah. Uh, 41.3 hitting efficiency, which is uh, right between, right above Schliefka. You know, above Mikaleto, above Mozic, kind of right behind Semenyuk and Ishikawa. So, yeah. Great, I'll take that all great, day long. Great job by DeFalco, who, for some reason, in my mind, has always been like, cause maybe because he's you know, beach volley associated with beach volleyball, but I always had in my mind as like this pass first kind of, you know, defensive L2 guy. But really, he's, he's a very good offensive hitter. Like, he's more athletic, I think, than people give him credit for. I agree with that. He's not big. He's 6'3". Uh, he might say 6'4 on the roster. That's a lie. I've stood next to him in real life, and I'm a little <laughs> taller than he is. Uh, he has one of the best arms I've ever seen. He uh, Legitimately one of the best arms I've ever seen. He jumps well, not like Japanese well. Like the, those dudes fly to a pretty yeah. special degree. But 
um, and the ball control and just the the vision of the game. And he's been playing at a very high level for a, a very long time, been the most hyped American prospect in years and has delivered on those high expectations, winning those two national championships, uh, all the All-American awards, National Player of the Year, and now being a, a legitimate player on the national team. Um, so mission accomplished for DeFalco there. Now he's going to have a very serious and important role in an Olympic Games. So I'm excited to see how he hangs in there. Um, the other two outside hitters behind them, Garrett Mangatutia, Thomas Jeschke, I think were the pretty clear picks of of the available options without Aaron Russell. So, yeah, Dan, we know we know your thoughts, but uh, <laughs> I don't really think there's that much to really talk no, about there. There's not much to say there. They were they were the only two picks possible. Yeah, totally. So the the question for the USA is: Can they put it all together? Um, can they be healthy enough? Can they put together all the pieces? Can the five year long process, which is maybe more calculated than any other countries, just the way that the entire quad is engineered by John Spiro and the staff. Can that all come together at the right time? And I have a little bit of reason for optimism about this, whereas I think a lot of American fans are very down on our chances to make the podium. Um, first of all, no country prioritizes the Olympic Games the way that the US does, especially compared to every other international competition. Um, the U.S. knows and plans around the Olympics more than any other team, I think. Um, for example, we played France in VNL, who is the Americans' first opponent in the Olympic Games. We played no starters, and Spira went far out of his way to take all of the like FIVB microphones that they stick in mm-hmm. to the huddle during timeouts, run away from them, and make it very clear to these guys saying, hey, stay away from any microphones. Don't say anything important. This is our first opponent in the Olympic Games. Don't give anything away. So that right there tells me that um, Spira and company are keeping their cards as close to their chest as possible for anything that you're going to see in the Olympics. I think you know who you're going to see, but what tactically you're going to see is what the American coaching staff has always been really, really good at. So I think they're their strategy of being a process-driven team versus a results-driven team is really going to get put to the test in this Olympics. And they have an extremely difficult pool. It's just the way it is. Let's assume they beat Tunisia, who I believe everybody will. But in order to make it out, in order to get top four, the U.S. has to beat one of Russia, Brazil, Argentina, and France. And none of those are gimmies. Um, Starting with France first, that is not an easy first matchup. Um, Argentina, we actually usually play pretty well, which... uh, I can't say the same for Dan's native Canada, but that matchup doesn't worry me quite as much. But I'm thinking back to 2016 where the U.S. lost to Canada in the first match and then had basically had to beat Brazil in Rio in order to get out of pools, and they did. So that sort of thing in pools is doable for the U.S., especially at the Olympics, and I do expect us to make it out, although probably in third place at best. So here's my thing about the USA. I'm also high on them. I think they will make it out of pool phase. I think they could even finish top two in this pool. The, for me, I feel like the all the attention has gone towards the Aaron Russell injury. Whereas I think TJ DeFalco, if he's hitting above 40%, whatever, you'll take that. Like Aaron Russell, a lot of times, doesn't hit above 40%. So like, <laughs> what, what's the issue? Like You're not putting Aaron Russell in for his reception. So if you have the offensive production is replaced, for me, that's a, that's a win. I think the bigger issue that I've seen with Team USA is the middles, which was not, for me, I had no idea this was coming, that Holtz and Smith didn't look that good, especially, I would say, I would say Holt is, uh, you know, he's been one of the top middles in volleyball for so long, we kind of almost took it for granted that 
he is a lot older than like the Micah Christensen, uh, Taylor Sander. Like he's he's not in that group. He's more with Matt Anderson, right? So right, maybe it, how old is Max? No, Anderson? you're right. Yeah, you're okay. right. He's in his early thirties. Yeah, definitely exactly. Older Which than... maybe because he looks younger and he's got the nice hair. <laughs> but but <laughs> yeah, I don't associate exactly with him right. with the older group. I associate him with the young group. But that's not the case. And I think you're starting to see signs of his age starting with his season in Piacenza and now continuing on to VNL where for me he's not an elite middle anymore which is tough to for USA is such a usually such a good middle team yeah we usually are I agree with that he um both him and Dave Smith did not look good in VNL at all that there is very legitimate reason for concern with the American middles and I'm with you Dan I did not see that coming I thought that was a pretty reliable piece especially with Smith just coming off of that Champions League win I didn't expect to see any downtick in his game but his connection with Christensen was not good at all and Holt blocking was almost painful to watch at points in VNL he was making these really bad lazy late moves to the pins not sealing the net at all getting so many balls that just dribble down his chest and fall on his side of the net. There's way too much of that. And the choice to take Mitch Stahl as the third middle blocker was a really interesting one. I didn't love that pick at the time. I've kind of gotten over it because I still don't expect him to play that much. Um, he can come in and inject some energy, but there there is some concern for about the American middle core. Because other than Holt, who's about 6'9", both Smith and Stahl are about six seven. They will give up some size to the other elite teams in volleyball. And if they can't really play at a high level attacking and blocking and serving as well, then we're going to get blown by by some of these teams where we have we're agreed. We're used to being really good in the middle. Like think back to Ryan Millar, Tom Hoff, David Lee, like the Russell Holmes, the emergence of Max Holt, the emergence of Dave Smith. And we need those guys to play at that level if we're going to have a good Olympics. I totally agree. By the way, do you want to guess who had the lowest block error percentage on Team USA in the VNL? Lowest block error percentage? Who got two of the least? Uh, TJ DeFalco. Well, out of the middles. Oh, okay. Because TJ is a very good blocker. Uh, out all, of the middles. All the, all the middles. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say Taylor Averill. Taylor Averill. The best, had the most good... Uh, touch percentage on his blocks and the least got the tool the least for me that was that was a little i would have taken avril for sure man and i said this on everett's podcast so i'll just go over it briefly i wanted avril in the third middle blocker spot one because you think he's really fundamentally had an incredible year in france good attacker very good blocker makes no errors but i also really wanted a float server we have zero Hmm. natural like pure float servers on the entire roster all 11 serving players are jump spinners and i wanted Averill as a serving sub option who's also actually a pretty good left back defender so I thought that was that was a missed opportunity and by the way I, I'm pretty sure he had the highest yeah yeah he had the highest hitting efficiency out of all the middles too so hmm, head scratcher mm. little strange okay before we'll we move see. on because I know people like listening to my podcast will ask this uh the Ben Patch situation Mm. Uh, just you're like just 30 seconds you don't need to go again listen to that other episode yeah the full thing but listen to the other episode Uh, i think like i was saying in the pool a breakdown when you're getting to the olympics you want you anybody who's not a starter is going to have a very specific use case in the olympics you need to know exactly what you're going to get out of that guy and exactly how you're planning on using him the weakness of ben patch is that you have no idea what you're going to get out of him he is the best athlete in the USA gym by far. His measurable athleticism is absolutely off the charts. It's 
world-class elite. It's, it's unbelievable. But he's so erratic and he's so inconsistent, especially in VNL. You saw him get, you saw him start matches, go to the bench. Kyle Ensing would come in and the team would immediately play better. The, the volleyball IQ factor there is huge. Uh, Ensing just off the bench is a more mature, level-headed player. I think he's more consistent. You understand the expectations, what you get with him. And I agree with that pick for the Olympics. Yeah, and I think it's it's also a little bit of trust because, you yeah. Know, yeah, again, like Patch, unbelievably athletic. But I think there's a lot of frustration maybe when, you know, at this level, when a guy is not passing free balls accurately. Oh, like, I know exactly the player you're talking about. That yeah. was a really bad one. And I think that that's so that can be so frustrating, and the net touches and things like that. Even if yeah, maybe offensively, his ceiling is not as light years away from Monsing. But uh, yeah, the I think the trust factor is difficult to deal with because even even at the levels we play at, if you can't pass a free ball, like what, what are you? Hey, what are you like, doing here? <laughs> yeah, and uh, also worth bringing up is that let, let's say let's say the U.S. struggles at one of the two outside hitter spots. Let's say DeFalco has a bad game, or let's say Taylor Sanders injury bugs him or whatever. The the opportunity to move Matt Anderson to the left is always there. I don't expect to see that. I think that's a, a desperation scenario. But if if we had to do that and you had to put in an opposite to start and play the match, the most consistent like player whose expectations and whose performance is likely to be understood is Kyle Lensing. For sure. So, Rob, my pick for a team, and I, I, I shared with you my uh, my big uh, shocking take on this team before, and I'm going to pick France, and my take, Irvin Engapet should not start for Team France. And if we just look, if we're going down to the stats, it's similar to Kubiak. He's hitting in this low 30s hitting efficiency. The passing, where you, like, you would expect Engapet to be, you know, that's that's where his bread and butter is, like an all-round outside hitter. You can hit, you can pass, you can serve. Passing's not that good. So you combine that with, and I like I like Ingebet. He's, he's a really fun player to watch. He's been one of my, like, I would say one of my favorite players to watch throughout his career. But right now, like, the body language is really tough to see out there, Rob. I mean, he's, he's, he's like, sulking a lot. He's, he's yelling at people. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's okay with the French team. Maybe it's the kind of relationship they have. We don't know. But at the same time, like it, it must get on people's nerves, especially when he's not bringing it on the volleyball court right? to, to deal with for the other players. I, I agree. I the, the, the body language point is it doesn't manifest, manifest itself in stats. And unless there's some really advanced stuff that you're looking at over there, but yeah. it's so visibly noticeable. It just is, it's, it's almost painful to look at him, like sulk around the court when things don't go his way. It's crazy for a player of his caliber. And we know he's like, we, we, we've gotten to know his personality over the years. He's a, he's a very fiery competitive personality. He's gotten into it with other teams before he's had some off the court issues, but he's such an electric player on the court that we always want to see him out there. But Volleyball, the most team sport in on the planet, in my opinion, you just can't have that. You just can't have that on your team. And when the efficiency numbers aren't quite there to back it up, um, I'm with you, Dan. Uh, you get a, a very consistent, predictable output from Trevor Cleveno, who I've actually never really liked that much as a player, but you do know what you're going to get from him. And then look, look at the, if you look nowhere, at the numbers, he, he's their best outside hitter. And then out of nowhere, uh, a player who we've 
kind of trashed the last year or two, Kevin Tilly had an unbelievable VNL. Yeah, and I think we had we had legitimate reasons to criticize him. He was probably the least efficient hitter. No, he was the least efficient hitter in all of the Superliga this year. He looked pretty bad out there. But I mean, he 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 looked unbelievable. Like he was hitting these like crazy like athletic line shots. He was yeah. Like, he was like sharp angle against sharp exactly. angle against three blockers. Like he was doing some really special he was coming things. coming out of the pipe a bunch and, and right. hitting and hitting those really well. So for me, to, like put put Tilly and Clevin out there, and they're both really good. All- anyway, Angapet wouldn't be on the team if he wasn't going to start. There's no way. I don't think even if you're Phil Jackson, you can manage manage to pull that one off. But uh. yeah, same with Kubiak. I yeah. um, I think he will start. It doesn't necessarily mean that he should. And you already did a podcast Dan, about the French roster when it came out. So there's not that much to talk about about the roster. Yeah, but true, true. I'm I'm interested to see what setter they go with and what opposite they go with because there's that interchangeable. And like I said in our CV segments, I think the setter position will depend on the matchups because Brizard bigger, more physical, more athletic especially when they play Russia, uh, who Brizard played against domestically in club this past year. I, I think you can expect him to see, you can expect to see Brizard play against Russia because otherwise Kliuka and Volkov will abuse Tony Udi to no end as a blocker. Yeah. Um, but the other matches, like the Argentina matchup, I expect Tony Udi. The, probably the USA matchup, I expect Tony Udi. Um, Brazil, honestly, not sure. He did stuff block Yuan de Leal that one time, so maybe you get Tony Udi in there. I feel, I feel like he's done it multiple times. <laughs> I think he has. I actually think he did it. Maybe it wasn't Leal, but it was somebody. No, who was it? I think it was, wasn't it Leal twice in that one game? I don't know. In, in, in club, yeah, but he got someone in, in Nations League, too. I can't remember who. Tony Udi's always good for one of those, like, every every two, uh, two or three games. It's electric, too, to watch mm-hmm. him. So I, I like France, except in the first match when I want them to lose three out of the U.S. But um, I actually do pick them to make it out over Argentina, who we should probably talk about next. All right, let's do Argentina. I would agree with you there. And Argentina, maybe it's because they like everyone's like, oh, they didn't have their full roster at VNL, blah blah blah. They they looked pretty bad in a VNL to me. Even just didn't look that even good. at the beginning when they had the, on paper almost their full starting lineup with Decheco and Conte and and all these guys. Yes, they definitely miss Santiago Donati, who's incredible libero, like one of the best in the world. But but Facundo Conte, I don't think people talk about it. He, he was almost one of the worst players at VNL. He could not pass a ball, couldn't hit nope. a ball. And nope. he's a player who I traditionally think very, very highly of. Agreed. So, so I'm surprised that he... And it's not like he had a... Maybe, maybe but maybe this is also... I'm kind of working it through my mind as, as we talk, do this live. But maybe he was like that was part of the reason for Sada Cruzeiro's uh, shocking loss in the quarterfinals of the Brazilian league is that Conte is not able to to play at that level right now. So I'd have to go back and check some more Brazil stats to to nail down this hypothesis. But we'll see. Argentina is a weird case. Uh, you got Soleil and Crer in the middle, at least I assume, who are both phenomenal. Mm. Not not Crer. Is Crer on the roster? I, I would assume it'd be Lozera right now. Lozera, yeah. Lozera Whichever. And, and Soleil, uh, so. Yeah. Soleil is outstanding, especially when paired with yeah. Chicheco. No problems there. Uh, opposites a big question mark for them. Uh, they've they've got Bruno oh. Lima, who we would have expected to make a jump to a higher level at this point in his career than he has. Uh, and yeah, just pin firepower and consistency. I just don't know what to expect from Argentina right now. Yeah, and, and I think I've gone over this. By the way, Kreer is not not on even on the roster. It's okay. Ramos, Soleil, and, and Ramos. Who, who, I shouldn't say Lozera, I like Augustin Loser, <laughs> even though he's really good. Uh, but yeah, Bruno Lima, I mean, he's not, 
they, they just they don't have that firepowered opposite, which is, is seeing them cause huge issues for them. And then you have okay, Conte has been the 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 go-to wing hitter, and that's fine because he's usually can take on that role. And then you have a guy like um, Nicholas Mendez, who's kind of the smaller passing. But if if Conte is not doing that role, like they, who is? Yeah, their out of system is like, not good. Like nothing. Like it's nothing. They have no one they can go to. And yes, De Checo to is is going to set everything humanly possible to one of the medals. But yeah, Argentina is kind of a fragile team. When one thing doesn't quite go right, especially in side out offense, they can really, really struggle. They can really kind of fall apart in ability to hang with the elite teams. And I think, especially at the Olympics, the other really good teams in this pool will find a way to put cracks in, in that, that Argentinian frame and figure out how to exploit them. And I think, I will say, USA, This is I think it's a great matchup for them. I think if there's any team you want to bomb serves against, it's going to be Argentina. Argentina. If you can force them out of system and Conte can't hit it, yeah, like I said earlier. The U.S. is a really good block transition offense. Exactly. Team. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's kind of why we've always matched up pretty well with Argentina is we are able to get them to a point where their offense is a little more predictable and then just execute. I think that's what we've always been really good at. All right, do you want to hop on over to the other... Oh, by the way, Argentina going through on your... Going through the next round for you. I do not, I do not think so. I think that um, between Brazil and Russia, who I think are the two best teams in this pool, I think the U.S. and France will make it through, and I think Argentina might be on the outside looking in. Totally agree. All right, let's go to the other South American team then. The reigning champions of Vienna 2021. And a team Olympics. that looks really really good <laughs> that's uh that's brazil dude i did not expect to see brazil be that good at vnl they were awesome yes no fantastic and i mean we should expect it again they're an elite team that added they're already the olympic winners and then they added yoandy leal who's like provides a nice extra bit of juice uh to their team but I think, like, one thing I didn't expect, Wallace D'Souza, I mean, maybe we should have expected it because he actually did have an underrated, really great season in Turkey, which I don't think people realize because he was, he was so off the radar. But, yeah, he was great. Uandy Leal, again, had a great season in Lubitsch Vitanova. Luca Relli, the guy Tremendous. who didn't maybe, he didn't maybe have the best club season ever, but he has. He was unreal during, during Nations League. So, And Bruno, I mean... Bruno, and then whichever middles they want. Like, Mauricio Souza owned the two Polish middles in the VNL Championship. Where did that come from, Rob? Mauricio Souza. Seriously. And then Lukas Lukas just showed up, like, wearing the mask and everything, like, just in time for VNL Finals, came back and was his usual stuff. Like, yeah, Brazil has no weaknesses. I couldn't believe how good they looked. I thought that maybe after the last Olympics, which, let's be serious, like, Italy was never going to beat them in in that championship game in Rio. But this quad, I expected them to kind of start to fall off just a little bit as some of those guys start to get to that tipping point in age, like we kind of talked about with Juan Terena. That hasn't happened. They, after a pretty lackluster 2019 VNL, this VNL, they played a lot of starters, a lot of the tournament, and they were tremendous. They were really, really good. Their block touch transition defense, even just like open backcourt defense was out of this world good their service pressure their side out offense they really have no weaknesses and um, i do expect them to win this pool yeah the only thing i'm a little surprised by is taking uh Tales haas the libero over yeah. mike Reyes, 
Me too. Because I Me mean, Talis Haas is in there is in there for one reason. There's only one skill I think that he's better at than than uh, Maggie Grace, and that's passing jump serves. Yep. Which I think is, and he's one of the best liberos in the world. That one specific skill, I think, floor defense setting, pa- passing float serves, make a lot better. Vitalis Haas, I mean, but it makes sense. They probably looked at who's in their pool: Russia, USA, especially France. All all ju- big jump serving Argentina. teams. Argentina. Yeah, Argentina. Mostly. Maybe, 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 yeah, Argentina as well, but. I don't think I don't think Brazil's worried about Argentina. I think they've beat no, them every single time. <laughs> I think they know that, them well enough. That is but, a one-sided rivalry. <laughs> yeah, but I think for sure USA Russia, they were looking. I was like, okay, maybe Mike's the better player, but but we saw Talis Haas how useful that one skill was against Poland in the final. So specific I, I use cases at the Olympics, Dan. That is a great point. Yeah. So Brazil, yeah, I agree. Favorite to win this pool. They looks really good, but. Uh, but there's still like some part of me that you know knows all these guys from their individual club season and i'm like oh, i i don't know maybe maybe I, i've watched too much club volleyball but it still doesn't add up to me as like <laughs> the best team in the tournament same it, it didn't it didn't add up to me either for a long time like that this just kind of odd to see them all come back together after a couple weird years for lots of reasons and then come back and be the best team in the tournament that was confusing to me and I couldn't quite put my finger on why that worked so well and I still can't so we'll see how it goes in the Olympics I think but Rob even well, I, I've been looking at the VNL stats over and over and I think there's still there's not an obvious thing that Brazil's like why they're so dominant why they're winning so many games didn't you say their side out percentage was was first yeah that's the maybe the one the one thing that's like that that stands out if, yeah yeah they just their, their reception the combination of reception setting attacking really hard to beat yeah. All right. Last team of Pool B, the ROC, the Russian Olympic <laughs> Committee team. An interesting one here, Rob. The tallest team in the tournament, the youngest team in the tournament. Just sounds weird to say about Russia, but what, what do you think of their chances? Because for me, there's uh, they left VNL with lower expectations from me than they came into it with. Agreed. I think you and I both picked him to win VNL, and that was for pretty good reason. And that just did not happen that way. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it was a hot and cold tournament for Russia, and a hot and cold tournament for them as a team, and for a couple players. We already talked about a little bit Igor Kliuka's lack of total elite consistency. Well, well how, how about this for elite consistency? Okay. Hit under thirty percent efficiency. That's not that's not elite consistency. No. No, and he, I mean his passing was all right, but it's you know it's the kind of the like the top of the bottom third of passers, which is what you would kind of expect out of him. But yeah, that uh, that hitting efficiency for a, a guy who's like has a forty inch vertical and is like six ten. There's something else going on where he's, he's right, not that, hitting well enough. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. He should be going OT on blockers. He should be be able to swing for fingertips. He should be literally unstoppable out of the bick, which in general he is. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what, why he was unable to sustain that high level that we kind of expect from him because like the point I made earlier is that when he is really on the elite levels of his game, he has a legitimate case for the second best outside hitter in the world behind Wilfredo Leon. But when, he's not, but when he's not, we, we just forget about him entirely. That, I don't think he ever has garnered the criticism 
when he doesn't play well that maybe he deserves, to be honest with you. Well, he had a pretty, not the greatest season in Senate St. Petersburg, I would say kind of the reason why they lost. I mean, they went far, and but the reason, a lot of reasons they lost to Dynamo Moscow was because they couldn't rely on Igor Kliuka as, you know, that, that superstar player. That, that, was once Victor Politaev, that was once Victor Politaev got hurt in that season. Yeah, and the, Russia, yeah, exactly. the Russian national team, though, is going to have kind of the same problem because with Maxim Mikhailov, who is one of the great players of all time, you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. He's going to hit something about 40%, which is amazing, at a pretty high volume load. But if you get to the point in a match where everybody in the gym knows the ball is going to Mikhailov, it's not like you're going to stop him, but you might at least be able to slow him down so that you can turn a couple points in transition. And Russia needs, needs Igor Kliuka to be clutch after point 20 in sets at the Olympics. That is really, really important for them if they want to win a gold medal. Yeah, for sure. And I like Dmitry Volkov. And I think people see like the really high scoring totals from Dmitry Volkov, but he's never been that efficient. That's not his no, role is to be no, that no, super no. clutch end of game guy. It's more to get a lot of the junk points out of the way. He's, he's going to hit a lot of resets. He's going to hit a lot of you know teams hits to put other teams out of position. But he's not like the terminal scorer that exactly. you want. He's good at that. That's his role. He's that's what he's very good at. Yeah, and a great server by the way now too. Yeah, I think I mentioned that before, but his serving has really improved. Other quick storylines here for Russia, Ivan Yakovlev instead of Dmitry Mazursky. Mazursky, for those, everyone wondering, he's injured. It's not, it's not like he was just left off the roster. But for me, Mazursky missing it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not nearly as big as people think it is. I don't yeah, think he was even a lock for the starting much. lineup if he had been healthy. I don't think he was even a lock for the roster if he had been healthy. Yeah. Well, probably for the roster, but I don't think he would have started. I think Yakovlev is legitimately one of the best middles in the world, and he didn't play much in VNL to get healthy, but assuming he is healthy, uh, we saw what he did in St. Petersburg, which was stunning, some of the oh. matches that he had. He is so electric, just really long arms, really quick laterally, like elite lateral quickness. He's like a freaking stretchy, bouncy, like it's, <laughs> it's like his body is made of rubber bands. Like it's incredible. He's amazing. He really is fun to watch. So him and I assume Artem Volvich will start in the middle. That's a really good duo of middles. Um, let's talk about setter because you were incredibly high on Pavel Pankov for good reason. Perhaps too high, season. Rob. Perhaps too high. I'm not. I'm not convinced. I, I think he still is the better setter. I still think he is yeah, am, yeah. among the world's elite. But we just haven't seen him really get a chance to do it on the national team stage yet. So we'll see what happens in the Olympics with that. Yeah, I think Pankov's still the guy you have to go to. I think you see like the lovely play out on Dynamo Moscow this year was better than we ever seen from Cobbstar by like a good margin. So Agreed. I think. If, if, I, if he, I think, I think with Pankov, I think you have to just like be like Pankov. You're gonna start no matter what, so you could take those risks. You play with that confidence. You play with that swagger that you were able to play with in Dynamo Moscow. Uh, and but I think, I think when Pankov gets nervous and he's like, uh, like I have all this pressure on me, I, I might get subbed out. Then I think he starts playing a little tighter, which is not his style at all. As funny as it is for a Russian setter, it's very atypical for a Russian setter. He plays very free, very loose. Very like uh, t risk taking, and I think that that's what made Dino Moscow so electric this year. That's a, a very good take. I think that's exactly the situation that he needs to be put in to succeed. But I'm not sure that Samelvo is going to put him in that spot. No, I don't trust him to do that either. And then the other weakness for Russia, obviously, the libero Valentin Golubev, who I think is better than people think he is. He's still I pretty think good. Libero's pretty good. I think he's, he's pretty, pretty good. good. He's pretty good, but he's no Verbov, and that's no. maybe what we've expected from Russia over the years. It's just like. Verbov has spoiled everyone and just 
being able to work so well in that Russian system. Yeah, I think I think Russia will come out in the in the pool phase of the Olympics and impress the rest of us. I think we were down on them after VNL and for pretty good reason. I think they have a very good matchup for them with Argentina first thing in the Olympics. I expect them to kind of stomp on Argentina and then take off running from there. All right, so we both have the four picks, USA, Brazil, France, Russia, coming out of Pool B, and that's going to take place starting July 24th. So uh, check your calendar, uh, mark down the games you want to watch, and Rob, it's time. Olympics, baby, finally. We're done. Let's do it. Finally. Olympics, let's go. Can't wait. Uh, can't wait to like talk with everyone and, and have all these good discussions about the Olympics. But Rob, thank you so much for however long you stayed with me here today. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Hey, everyone give me a follow on Instagram personally at rstclair1. Uh, I don't ever really plug that, but um, I'm normally just plugging VLA stuff. But I'll, I'll do, I'll have plenty of Olympic-related volleyball stuff. Yeah, because you're, you're posting some highlights now too. I like it, I like it. Yeah, I tried to grab a couple during VNL. Uh, so I'm going to do the same in the Olympics and we'll see how it goes. So right. follow, ours, follow me just like yeah. Dan. For sure, guys. Give Rob a follow. I'll tag you in the uh, podcast as well. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace. Peace.